I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I present the latest edition of the I'm in love with that song podcast. This is the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brad Page. This is the show where I pick one of my favorite songs, and we explore it together to get a better understanding of what makes it a great song. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to make note of one thing. The first episode of this show aired back in April 2018. Well, here we are in April 2023. So that makes this the fifth anniversary of the I'm in Love With That Song podcast. So I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to all of you listening. Some of you have been here since the very beginning. Some of you are new listeners, but you all make this show possible. And we couldn't have gotten this far without you. So thanks for being a part of the show. On this episode, we're visiting with a band that made their mark in the 70s and helped to find the sound of hard rock. And they continued to produce solid records well into the 2000s. This is Nazareth with a song called Holiday. It's a holiday. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Now, usually at this point in the show, I give you a short history of the band and work our way up to the song. But author and friend of the show, Robert Lawson, has written a number of books, including Rasmus Naz, The Listener's Guide to Nazareth. So I thought, rather than give you the information secondhand, I'd invite Robert onto the show so you can hear it from the expert. 
So let's bring Robert into the conversation. So, Robert Lawson, thanks for joining me here on the I'm In Love With That Song podcast to talk a little bit about Nazareth. You're the guy that wrote the book. So right. You're the yes. expert. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about the history of, of the band, how Nazareth came to be in the first place. Well, uh, you've got the original four guys from uh, Dunfermline, Scotland, which is a small uh, city in Scotland. And, uh, you know, they're like a 70s phenomena, really. So the first album came out in 71 and maybe took them an album or two to get their sound together. By the mid-70s, they're just huge. I think it was in 77 or 78, they did a coast-to-coast Canadian headlining arena tour, which is a big deal, you know, back then. So, mm-hmm. so they're right on that level of Aerosmith and, and a lot of those kind of arena bands. Right. And, uh, and those are still great great albums that when people talk about nazareth they tend to go back to records like hair of the dog and expect no mercy like those are those are the classics but really during the 70s there they were uh, really on top of the game you've got like five six maybe seven albums in a row that are all great all really strong you know i'm in canada where they were really big up here mm-hmm. so much so there's there's people up here who think nazareth were canadian <laughs> Um, and some of those albums were, were recorded in Canada. So they were a big part of, uh, a lot of our lifestyles and a lot of radio play in Canada in the seventies. You think that's maybe the Scottish connection? That's part of it for sure. There's definitely a lot of, uh, Scottish history in Canada. A lot of Scottish people live here. I have a Scottish background, but part of it also is, and I don't think I got to touch on this in the book, actually, but there's there's something up here called CanCon. And what that means, for anyone who, who doesn't know, is there's a percentage of Canadian content that must be played on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that doesn't mean we don't play music from the UK and the States and everywhere else. But there's a certain percentage that has to be Canadian. And that can just be written by Canadian produced by Canadian. The band doesn't necessarily have to be Canadian. It could be recorded in Canada. There's like four different aspects. And I think you have to tick off two of them to be considered Canadian content. So Nazareth covered the Joni Mitchell song, this flight tonight. And that was considered Canadian content in a way. So they got a, so a lot of radio stations would play it not only because it's a great song, but it would check off the box for Canadian content for them. recorded a bunch of albums up here and they were just touring here a lot so canada really took to them the guys seem to really like canada they they still tour here a lot the current lineup canada just always kind of had a relationship with nazareth and i that's probably how i got into them as a kid in the 70s so let's talk a bit about the four guys individually that that made up the original lineup of nazareth 
all from the relatively the same area of Scotland, right? In fact, didn't a couple of them grow up together? The original four are all from Dunfermline, yes. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the guys. You have, of course, Dan McCafferty on lead vocals, I think one of the most distinctive <laughs> vocalists in rock history, right? Absolutely. Kind of was doing uh, Brian Johnson before there was Brian Johnson, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to say for years when I was younger, that if you if you listen to uh, like Hair of the Dog, that that actually sounds like Brian Johnson, mm -hmm. uh, way before Brian Johnson was you know known internationally for sure. So then you have Manny Charlton on guitar. Right. I think one of the great underrated guitar players, frankly, yeah, his, from that era. His stuff's really neat because when you really start digging into the albums um, and really listening, a lot of the songs are a lot more complex from a guitar standpoint than I kind of thought of when I was younger because he'll have a couple of rhythm guitars, electric rhythm guitars. He'll be playing a lead. Then he might have a, a couple of acoustics in the background. And on some of them, he even adds, like, mandolin. And that'll, the mandolin and the lead guitar are, are playing in sync. And it's re really just a lot more interesting than, than I thought when I was, you know, when you're a kid, you just go, loud guitars, yeah. Right. And then you realize, wow, man, he's doing, like, five or six different things on different stringed instruments on some of these songs. It's great stuff. Yeah. And then the rhythm section. Pete Agnew on bass and he does a lot of the backing and harmony vocals including on the song that we're going to talk about so he's, he's a real big part and he's the one him and dan uh like met when they were like five years old in kindergarten or something like that like they go way way back right and then of course daryl sweet uh on drums so if and tell me if i'm uh if i'm incorrect here but i believe they formed or at least the first early uh, versions of the lineup came together in around 1961 as the Shadettes. That's right. Yeah. I don't think all four were, were in the Shadettes, but um, yeah, that sort of evolves into Nazareth by the late, by the mid to late 60s. Yeah. Manny joins later, I think, in the late 60s. Uh, and they kind of cut their teeth doing cover songs, which many bands do, but. But their ability to take a cover song and make it their own is pretty unique and is a big part of, of their catalog. Yes. Uh, they got the name, they landed on the name Nazareth from the classic song by the band, The Wait, right? That's, that's, <laughs> I'll be a little controversial here. That's the story that has always been told for years and years. And when I was researching my book, I, I found another story that was a lot darker um, behind how they got that name. And I I posted it on Facebook just saying, hey, has anyone ever heard this? And a whole bunch of people jumped on me saying, what are you talking about? It's from the band and Robbie Robertson wrote the song and all this. There's, they always say that it's that story. Well, 
you know, if, if you do a lot of music research, you know that just because a band always says a story, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It just means they might come to believe it. Right. You tell the story enough times and it becomes the truth. Yeah. So, so for all intents and purposes, yes, the, the, the name came from the song by the band. I pulled into Nazareth, was feeling about half past dead. I just need some place where I can leave my head. Hey, mister, can you tell me? And their first album, self-titled album, uh, comes out in 71. That's right. And that record... That was kind of a different, from what we think of when we think of Nazareth today. I mean, the sound of that record is it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, they're still kind of finding their their way, which which a lot of bands, you know, that's not that uncommon these days. Uh, I guess for a long time now, you you have to have you know three hits immediately, or else you lose your record deal. Back then, bands were signed to development deals where you you could actually put out a few singles and even a couple of albums while you're still figuring out who you are and Nazareth are definitely an example of that the first album it's got some heavy parts but there's a little bit of you know some acoustic stuff and you know they're they're kind of all over the place a bit Roy Thomas Baker uh worked on that first record right yeah that must be fairly early in his career he went on to be a legendary producer I think he was an engineer or something on that record yeah that's right uh, and then they put out a second record called Exercises in 72, and then uh, Razum and Naz in 73. And that's kind of the first record that sounds like the Nazareth we all came to know and love, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I like those first two records a lot, but uh, some fans think that the career really takes off with uh, Razum and Naz in 73. Oh, sure. And that's followed up by a couple more records, Loud and Proud in 73, Rampant in 74, and then the big one, Hair of the Dog, their sixth album in 1975. Yeah. And that's the one that really breaks them worldwide. So this is the first one that Manny Charlton produces after uh, Roger Glover from uh, Deep Purple had done the, the last few records. And you're right, 75's Hair of the Dog, they really knock it out of the park. Not not that the records before that weren't, weren't great. They are. I, I'm pretty 
partial to loud and proud and rampant, but hair of the dog is uh, definitely kicks it up to another level. Yeah, it's the one that seemed to just catch public attention. Uh, that's followed in 76 by Close Enough for Rock and Roll. And then Playing the Game in 76, Expect No Mercy in 77. One of the great album covers of all time, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a, that's a 70s album cover right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the side of a van. I was just going to say that, Brad. <laughs> that's, that's the, I, think I, I think there was a van that had that on it driving around when I was like 10 or 11 years old or something. And then uh, in 79, they released a record called No Mean City. And that's kind of a, a f I don't know, a shift, but it's a change in the band, right? Because they have a new member who joins. Uh, that's their 10th album. And they bring in uh, another second guitarist. Let's talk about that character. Right. And uh, characters is right. So they get uh, Zal Clemenson, who, for people who maybe aren't familiar, he was a guitar player in a really, really great Scottish band called the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Real unique uh, group of characters. And Zal, in that band, he was known for performing in complete white makeup. And he had these like bright green and yellow, like shiny outfits and uh, platform heels. And he was kind of like a like an offshoot kiss guy but instead of all black and silver it would be green and yellow and and uh so yeah a real a real visual character so he dropped all that stuff when he joined nazareth but a great great player and i think that the addition of zal to nazareth is just like really really important and i and i always talk about the fact that there's some live stuff which is actually the malice tour but so maybe we should get to that but if you ever hear any of the live stuff when zal was in the band it's absolute killer um manny welcomed having a, a second guitarist there's no competition between them at all manny since he's songwriting and he's concentrating on producing he uh, wanted a little help with the guitar playing which is um very generous and uh, Zal gets to play a lot i like the no mean city album a lot i think it's um it's a little darker I mean, the song May the Sunshine is one of the ones I was kind of referring to before that it's got a, this mandolin part that's just really bright and it's um, just a great record. kind of iconic album cover with a character that they still use on their merch to this day. 
And what do you think it was specifically that Sal brought to the band, besides just being a great player? I mean, do you think it's there's a certain element or two that he, that he brought? I think it was just kind of like a shot in the arm that they needed. You know, like you said, they, they had done, you know, 10 albums or something uh, with a lot of touring as well. When you look at these records, it's like they're putting out a record every single year from 71 to 77 and touring a lot in between. Like I said, they were doing arena tours in Canada. Uh, I know they played Cobo Hall, I believe in 78. Uh, they were opening early a lot of shows with Deep Purple. So a lot, a lot of a lot of touring, a lot of recording. Then you get TV appearances and radio shows and all kinds of stuff. So I think they just kind of needed a bit of an extra hand. And Zal is someone who is sort of in their orbit already because there was a Dan McCafferty solo album that Manny produced, and Zal plays on that. Sensational Alex Harvey Band and Nazareth also shared uh, managers. So so they knew of Zal, and because I think Zal is kind of such a zany character, probably just fun to have a, a fun guy like that uh, in, in the band and, and give them a shot in the arm with his extra energy because he is a guy who would uh, run around on stage a lot. He plays really fast. He doesn't play the same thing twice a lot, so he's kind of unpredictable. He's a, he's a bit of a... Uh, unpredictable character like that. I think it was probably just a mix of fun and the uh, extra energy that that Zal would bring from being such a character. We're going to pause here for a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, so No Mean City, the first record with Zal, comes out in 79, and then that's followed by an album called Malice in Wonderland in 1980. And the song we're going to delve into on the show today is from that album. That's their 11th album. It's pretty pretty amazing when you think about 11 albums. And they would go on to cut a lot more after that. Uh, But, you know, they, they they were like veterans at this point. I mean, 11 albums. That's a whole catalog right there. That's right. And even when the first album came out in 71, they weren't, you know, teenagers either. Like, like some of the guys were already married with kids and stuff. So yeah, at this point they're, they're real veterans of the business and life on the road and life in recording studios and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're well seasoned at this point. And the Malice album is, it's interesting on a number of fronts. And I think the impression I get is that it's somewhat controversial among fans, but it's the first album that's produced by a real outsider, an American, somebody that fans of the show will know, Jeff Skunk Baxter uh, from Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers actually produced this record. And it was not recorded in either 
uh, Canada or Scotland, right? Uh, Compass Point Studios in Barbados. So, you know, that's that's where everyone goes. You know, you got the, the beach right outside the studio. You've got a very different environment. Uh, and you've got a, a very different producer. Um, and I think fan reaction is fairly mixed to this record, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's justified because Skunk Baxter, for all of his credits in the past, um, he does kind of tame the sound a lot. You know, Manny had done five albums, and those albums, like I said, are like the Roger Glover-produced albums, the Manny Charlton-produced albums are all great. They're all a lot of fun. Great songs, great production, great vocals, guitar, everything. And then Baxter comes in and he kind of mellows them out a bit. And uh, I kind of consider it the band's first misstep. Not that it's a mistake, but I would have liked to have seen Manny Charlton produce this album or even maybe bring Roger Glover back. Because I think having a guy as exciting as Zal Clemenson on board and then you kind of neuter him is counterproductive. It's definitely a different sound than any of the records before. In fact, I think it's the biggest shift in sound since maybe the first two albums. Yes, absolutely. But it does contain one, I think, all-time classic Nazareth song, the song Holiday, which opens the record, and that's the one we're going to dive into today. So before I get into the track, uh, Robert, tell me... Tell me your thoughts about this song. Uh, I love it. It's probably one of the ones that I really caught on to when I was when I was really young. It's very uh, catchy, very upbeat. You know, for a band that was doing heavy stuff like Expect No Mercy and Hair of the Dog, it's kind of poppy, uh, melody-wise anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this great lyric, and Dan's vocals are, are terrific, although that's, it's almost redundant to say that because he's known as being such a great you know, vocalist, but... You know, there's a line that kind of gets repeated a couple of times, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this, where at the end of a couple of the choruses, he says, you know, mama, mama, please, no more husbands. And I think the second or the third time he says it, he really digs in with a growl and says, I don't know who my daddy is. And that that line kills me to this day. It's such a good line. And the way he delivers it is great. Absolutely. So let's get into the track. Holiday opens the Malice in Wonderland album, Side One, Track One. It was performed by Dan McCafferty on lead vocal, Manny Charlton and Zal Clemenson on guitars, Pete Agnew on bass and backing vocals, and Daryl Sweet on drums. And as we mentioned before, it was produced by Jeff Skunk Baxter. All five band members share writing credit on this song, McCafferty, Clemenson, Charlton, Agnew, and Sweet. The song begins with a classic bluesy guitar boogie riff. There's also an organ in the background. I'm guessing that was played by Skunk Baxter. When the band comes in, they add some vintage Chuck Berry-style guitar licks. This 
This is a fairly restrained vocal from McCafferty. He's not belting it out or doing a lot of emoting yet. It's nice work on the backing vocals here. Let's listen to that. She's pushing way too hard. I don't want any parts. Off away. That brings us into the chorus, which is a completely different feel than the verses. And this is where the lyrics get really interesting, too. I've always pictured this song as being about a spoiled rich kid, drinking and partying with his friends, but he's got some real issues, especially with his mother, as we'll hear in the choruses. Mama, mama, please, no more Jaguars. I don't want to be a pop star. Sounds like she's trying to buy his love or maybe just keep him out of her way by buying him fancy cars. Let's hear the first chorus. It's a holiday. It's a holiday. Mama, mama, please. No more Jaguars. I don't want to be a pop star. Mama, mama, please. No more And that may be my favorite line in the song. Mama, mama, please, no more facelifts. I just don't know which one you is. Mama, mama, please, no more facelifts. I just don't know which one you is. Mama, mama, please, no more husbands. And then this chorus ends with, Mama, please, no more husbands. And then it goes right into the next verse. Mama, mama, please, no more husband. Breaking my wine, wasting my time, hiding out in my rented dream. Wasting my time hiding out in my rented dream. Let's hear more of the vocals on this verse. Breaking my wine, wasting my time, hiding out in my rented dream. Looking for attention. Daryl Sweet plays a nice tom-tom driven beat during this part, so let's listen to a little of that. There's also a nice little lyric here. Ask the chauffeur who he knows. Numbers, he's got lots of those. I especially like that pause that McCafferty puts in there. Ask the chauffeur who he knows. Numbers, he's got lots of those. Drinking my wine, spending my time. Trying to run from this Halloween. It's a holiday. It's a holiday. 
There's some nice guitar work behind the vocals there. I like to think of these kinds of parts as guitar orchestration. It's the kind of things that you could do with strings or horns, but doing them with electric guitars instead. So let's listen to that. There are multiple layered guitar parts during the chorus spread across the stereo field. Let's hear some of the chorus without the vocals. Please, no more husbands. I don't know who my daddy is. Let's listen to McCafferty's delivery on that line. Mama, mama, please, no more husbands. I don't know who my daddy is. There's also a nice little drum fill that takes us out of that chorus. And that takes us into a tasty little guitar solo by Zal Clemenson. Here comes another chorus. Let's bring up the vocals again for this one. Mama, mama, please. No more Jaguars. I don't want to be a pop star. Mama, mama, please. No more dead hands. I don't want to be a settled man. Mama, mama, please. No more facelifts. I just don't know which one you is. Mama, mama, please, no more husbands. I don't know who my daddy is. Mama, mama, please, no more Jaguars. I don't want to be a pop star. Mama, mama, Holiday by Nazareth. Let's bring Robert Lawson back in to wrap things up for this episode. So after the release of Malice in Wonderland again in 1980 uh, and this incredible track, where does Nazareth kind of go from there, Robert? Well, they they did tour the album and uh, there's a great live recording from the Hammersmith uh, on the Malice tour that I always have to give a shout out to. You can listen to the whole thing on YouTube some of the tracks were used as B-sides, and um, it's a great, great live album. I always r- wish that they would have released it as an official live album because you really hear the Manny Charlton, Zal Clemenson guitar work. Uh, it's a great, great live recording. But uh, after that, um, Zal leaves the band, so that's that kind of hurts them in, in some ways. There's a couple of lineup changes. They put out a couple of more albums. 
There's a live album called Snaz, mostly recorded in Vancouver, Canada, which is a really, really great live album. When I was growing up, it was right up there with Cheap Tricks Budokan and Kiss Alive and all the rest of them. And, you know, they put out a few more albums. I think Manny produces a few more. But as you get into the 80s, they, like a lot of hard rock bands, they have a little bit of a hard time figuring out how they fit in the hair metal and the glam kind of rock scene. And at that point, they just kind of become a club band. And that's where they've been ever since. I mean, they've still put out some great records. Uh, there's a bunch of later era albums uh, when Dan was still in the group that I think are really strong, but they're like nobody heard them outside of the hardcore fans. And that's really a shame because they are good albums and they, they didn't get as much airplay. And ever since, they uh, either become kind of an opening band for other groups or, like I say, playing much, much smaller venues. And uh, we've, we've lost most of the original members at this point. Yes. Daryl Sweet, the drummer, was, was he the first to pass away? Yes, that's right. And, uh, and then really fairly close together, we lost both uh, Dan McCafferty and Manny Charlton within the last year or so? Uh, yeah, both, I think both actually in 2022. Manny was uh, like maybe in the spring or earlier in the year, and that was pretty sudden. We didn't, uh, wasn't really expecting that. Uh, Dan had, you know, not been in the greatest health for a few years, which is what prompted him to leave the band. Right. Um, he just couldn't tour anymore. He couldn't really perform more than a couple of songs at a time so he had to step away but you know he was still out there and he even put out a solo album but his condition eventually got worse so his passing wasn't uh, as shocking but still pretty sad i mean i spent some time with dan in dunfermline scotland and uh just a really really great guy and i i really enjoyed talking with him about his career and about about the book and about everything so losing him was was pretty painful for me yeah Pete Agnew, the bass player, is he's still alive and kicking and still working today, I think, right? Yeah, he's still the he's the main guy in Nazareth now. The guitarist that they have and the drummer have both been there for like over 25 or 30 years. So they're not really the, the new guys anymore. Right. And they have Carl Sentence on vocals who, you know, has sung with uh, Don Airy a lot. And he sang with Geezer Butler and, you know. He's, he's, he's been around. He, he's kind of a road dog. He knows what touring's all about. And they've done two albums with him now. And they're not bad albums by any means, but it, it's hard not to miss Dan. Sure. Dan and Pete still lived in Dunfermline their whole lives. Pete still lives there, you know. So <laughs> even though he, he's gone from, you know, having gold and platinum albums and touring all over the world, he still lives in the same small city. I think it's a population of like 60,000 people or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Dan, up until his passing recently, also still lived in Dunfermline. So I think that kept him pretty grounded. Yeah. Well, Robert, thanks for coming on and talking about Nazareth. The name of your book is Razimus Naz. That's right. It is kind of an album-by-album album history of the entire career of Nazareth. If you're a fan or if you just kind of want to explore Nazareth, it's a great place to begin. Uh, Robert's also the author of Still Competition, which is kind of the same album-by-album look at the legendary Cheap Trick, another band that's a big favorite here on the podcast. So both of those I recommend. What are you working on next, Robert? What's coming out? Well, my third book that came out, uh, I guess, a year and a half ago was about a Canadian group called The Guess Who. Mm -hmm. 
and that's uh, Wheatfield Empire in the 60s and 70s, the guests who were like Canada's Beatles up here, you know, huge, huge group for us. And I'm, I've been working now for about two years on a book about um, one of my heroes, little Stephen Van Zandt. Nice. So he's got solo stuff. And then, of course, you got Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band stuff. And you got Soprano stuff. And he's got a radio show. So he's kind of all, all over the place. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been working on during kind of pandemic and lockdowns and, and stuff like that. So I keep plugging away at that and letting people know about the previous books. Great. Well, looking forward to that. And thanks again for, uh, for coming on and talking about Nazareth and this great track. Thanks, Robert. Anytime, Brad. Thank you. And thanks for joining Robert and I for this episode. If you're interested in Robert's books on Cheap Trick, The Guess Who, or Nazareth, you can find them at the Friesen Press website. That's Friesen Press, F-R-I-E-S-E-N-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash store, and then search for Robert Lawson, and you'll find those books. I really do recommend them. I will be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, you can get caught up on all of our previous episodes on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com. You can also find us on all of the podcast apps and services, Amazon, Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. This podcast is available on all of them. On behalf of the Pantheon Network, I thank you again for being here for the past five years of the I'm in Love With That Song podcast, and I hope you stick around for more. If you'd like the show to keep going, the best thing you can do is to tell people about the show and share it with your friends. Thanks for the last five years, and thanks for listening to this episode on Holiday by Nazareth. Mama, mama, please, no more facelifts. I just don't know which one you is. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.